Welcome to Coin DMZ. I'm Ken Rakowski back in Los Angeles, California. And on the other side of, I don't know, like three other cities, small cities, Santa Monica, California. That's where William Quigley is. And you and him and me and I, we are your Coin DMZ team. This is episode 14. We've only done 14 of these, but it seems like we've done this for years and years and years, right, William? It does indeed. (laughs) It does. All right. I got a challenge that's about to happen, not me, but technology-wise, to Telegram and Signal. Now, these are the two platforms that everybody in the crypto space likes to use because of its anonymity and its ability to allow messages to go and disappear. And it really is the de facto standard, those two, right? Absolutely. I have a feeling, it's going to sound crazy, Instagram is about to up their game. Oh. So Uh, what brings that about? Well, they are about to launch a video chat platform, an encrypted chat platform that they've taken a lot of the tools from WhatsApp. And they've been watching Snapchat, Signal, and Telegram, and they said, we're going to incorporate all that also. And as you know, so many people are on the Instagram platform, it just adds more value. I'm just going to tell you, watch Instagram become a big player in the crypto space for communication in the next couple of months. Wow. Just a a guess. But when I saw some of this new code that's coming out, I was pretty impressed by what Instagram's trying to do. Because, you know, of course, Facebook wants nothing to do with cryptocurrency. Didn't Mark Zuckerberg say that a couple of months ago? Well, he he has. In fact, just a few months ago, based on my uh, information, there was no one within Facebook globally who was looking at the blockchain and cryptocurrencies and thinking about how to integrate that into their business strategy. I think they've hired one or two people since, but it's shocking. I think they're really missing out. Yeah, but as I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, I believe Facebook will create their own altcoin, which will compensate content creators, very similar to what Steemit has done, because if you saw the latest stats, Facebook, for the first time, has actually saw a decrease in user, uh, what are we going to call it? Um, engagement. Uh, engagement. It actually went down for the well, first time. <laughs> yeah. You know, let's 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 riff on that a bit. Uh, first of all, of course, it's an older platform, right? So the average age is probably closer to 30 than it is to like 20s, which obviously Snap has that. And that's true of all these social media platforms. They get adopted by younger people. The younger people want their own thing and so forth. We get that. But... Uh, Facebook is so heavy-handed. I see constant uh, references when I'm on Facebook, and I admit I'm not on Facebook as much anymore, but where somebody will say, this was censored, this was censored, you know, that was censored. And, and you know, we've, we've seen all of this, like, politicization of Facebook. Yeah, it's and, true. And as a result, it's, it's like a turnoff. I mean, um, of course, the biggest issue with Facebook at this point, in my mind, is the fact that they've changed their algorithm yet again. They do it about every three or four months to force people who, let's say, have a business account in Facebook. If you want to share your message more and more, if you are not paying for ads, all of your fans, all the people who who are followers will not see what you have. 
and it's getting kind of old. People constantly talk about, well, I had this much engagement and now it's half that, and now I got to build it back up or pay my, you know, my Facebook bribe. So um, I think Facebook has major challenges ahead of it because it's become a turnoff. Now, I know we're supposed to talk about crypto, but I do want to say that what I've done with Facebook and something you might want to check into, I'm using Workplace at Facebook. Have you ever seen this? I've not. So it's the, let's call it the, um, the B side, the business side of Facebook, where, for example, the group that you and I are part of called Metal, we all will have our own account inside this. We will only see the information from our group, no noise externally. So uh-huh. imagine your own private intranet Facebook, all oh, the bells and whistles plus I know, more. But there's like four crypto uh, companies that are creating such a thing. And guess what? There's not some Mark Zuckerberg at the center saying, oh, that content, we don't really care for it. And uh, by the way, we want to charge you. So I, I think that's great that they do it, but I think there's better solutions now that don't have a middleman. Can you imagine if every time you got together with your friends, there was a guy who was looking over you and saying, yeah, you can't talk about that. Or, oh, that subject, you know what? You better uh, you better pay me a dollar if you want to share that information. That's how I feel about Facebook now. If it was a communication platform, it's a weird one where uh, it's like being on a phone call and having uh, Verizon say, you you can't send that message without paying an extra <laughs> Oh, you want to talk about where, what restaurant you're eating at tonight? Uh, I'm sorry. We have a restaurant sponsor, so you can't ta- say that without paying. All right. All right. Like all right. I can accept like it. Weird. I accept that. I do love Twitter. I used to not love it, but since it, oh, you're like you're liking Twitter now. Well, in my business, we, you know, we do a lot of stuff, obviously, with crypto and with video gaming and uh, trading virtual items and video gaming at Opskins.com, and uh, a lot of our. Uh, our customers in the United States anyway, um, they like it as a communication platform. You know, I always thought of Twitter as something for like the over 35 set. And it turns out that may be true except for the video gamers and the video gamers really like it. Uh, so it uh, it's become their sort of medium of choice. Well, it's got a great dashboard too. And the analytics for Twitter are incredible and they're free. Yeah. Yeah, it's really impressive. So I become a Twitter fan. Hey, I want to talk about Overstock real quick. Overstock.com. Now, I bought a bunch of stuff on Overstock because they accepted Bitcoin really early in the days. Yes. And it was nice because I had a, a place to actually buy stuff. I'm a bit lost on something. Right now, Overstock is trading at $60.55. Um, so it's an actual public stock being Overstock. It's on the NASDAQ. Why would a publicly traded company do an ICO? I'm a bit lost. All right. Why would it? Why would a public company do an ICO? Well, uh, one of the things you learn when you uh, uh, when you take your company public is you learn that you always have your tin cup out raising money. It's a weird thing. Uh, some, you know, I've been in venture capital for over 20 years. And uh, a lot of young entrepreneurs say, I can't wait till I go IPO and I'm public and I won't have to ask investors for money. It turns out you always ask investors for money or you ask bankers for money because as you grow, you need more capital. 
So uh, this is a very cheap form of capital. That's one reason why they would do it. The other reason why a big company or a public company would want to do an ICO is because it's a way to expand your customer base. You know, the crypto community, as you know, uh, it is a community and they look at they look at different merchants, they look at uh, different companies as either friendly or not friendly. You know, if you if you are going to open a bank account and you are a crypto person, you probably won't use uh, JP Morgan because the CEO says uh, you're evil if you use Bitcoin, right? So uh, that's another reason. And as you know, uh, companies are always trying to associate themselves with something progressive, something uh, useful, uh, uh, an emerging technology. Well, right now, anyway, uh, blockchain is probably the biggest one. Okay. I get what you're saying, but I want to go back to the premise. By doing an ICO, since there are no shareholders anymore, don't the current shareholders of Overstock lose some type of, I would say, power position? Because that equity portion, since there is no equity given away, does that affect the current shareholders? Well, um, I think net-net, it benefits. It okay. benefits overstock shareholders, okay? Your point, which is more of a subtle, a little more complicated point is, hey, uh, is, is overstock sort of selling some part of its assets in this ICO? And uh, the beneficiaries of that are the people buying the tokens. And so the shareholders themselves are not directly benefiting, right? That's, I think that's- They're not, they're not participating in that. Right, and so they may not be participating directly, meaning every shareholder, if you own a share, you get a, um, an overstock or a T0 coin. But what you do get is you get a lot more attention on overstock as a company and more people saying, oh, Overstock's doing innovative things, we should hold their stock for investment purposes, right? That's, what's crazy is Overstock's been around a long time. I think it has a market capitalization of maybe 1.5 billion or so. And, you know, you, and they do a decent amount of revenue. Uh, and yet there are so many crypto coins out there that are brand new that have a market cap of, that, of around that price, some higher. And so if, if I think Overstock's being smart about trying to expand the markets they go into, and uh, in the end, crypto should be a consumer, uh, a consumer medium for buying and selling, and, and, and Overstock is, a, is an e-commerce company. So this is a cool way to uh, attract people who maybe have cryptos and don't uh, have a whole lot of places to spend them today. Okay. I, I, I'm just anxious to see how this is going to pan out you know they've already raised what a hundred million dollars a hundred million yeah so far that's yeah. for uh their uh online exchange that will allow people to trade uh, uh cryptos as long as they're classified as securities by the sec so when big billy and i come back we have a lot to talk about we'll look at how icos deliver a bigger punch than vcs and how icos are disrupting the late stage venture capital market there's a one trillion dollar money manager who's looking at putting crypto into its portfolio a Liechtenstein bank welcomes cryptocurrency investors wtf bill gates and so what is this starbucks coin 
And where is Amazon when it comes to crypto? Plus, listener email, a lot, lot going on on episode 14 of Coin DMZ. We'll be right back. It's Coin DMZ episode 14. He's William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski. Coin DMZ is where you can find us. Hello at CoinDMZ is our email. We'll get to some of the emails a little later on. William Quigley is a seasoned venture capitalist. He's been in the industry for 7,000 years. He uh, was trading stones as a way to actually monetize things back then and shells. I don't want to forget about the shells. And of course, companies like PayPal, he was actively involved with uh, at the very, very beginning. Look at Peter Thiel moving down to Los Angeles. Did you see that? I missed that. You missed that. Yeah, Peter Thiel says he's done with Silicon Valley. Silicon, by the way, not silicone. I don't know why people say that. Silicon Valley and moving down to Los Angeles because he can't stand the, basically the um, the non-loyalty. I like this. The non-loyalty of employees in Silicon Valley. And he's coming to Los Angeles. <laughs> right. Oh, he's going to love Hollywood. Oh, my gosh. But okay, I guess... You trade one for another, but yeah, welcome to LA. Uh, you're gonna you, unite with him again. Did you guys spend much time together at the very beginning of PayPal? You know, no, I was an investor, as you know. We were right. my fund, IDLF Capital, the uh, first institutional investor in, in PayPal. And you know, especially back then, uh, there wasn't a lot of socializing. I mean, it was all about building a business and, and PayPal hit the market at the right time and trounced every other competitor out there, including Elon Musk's company that tried to beat PayPal. Ultimately, we acquired it because uh, his company just could not keep up. You know, it's interesting how most people think for some reason Elon Musk created PayPal and created Tesla. He did neither of those. He came into yeah, those companies yeah. later on. I know, that it's a weird thing, and this is, you know, uh, when you check the internet for facts, you know, well, you uh, you got to always be a little skeptical. Yeah, dive, right? dive deep into this. He did not create Tesla. He did not create PayPal, just so you know that. Hey, I do want to talk about being a venture capitalist. Like I said, you've been doing that for 20 plus years. Uh, yeah, more than that. Yeah, 20 plus years. You've invested in tons of companies. And I know that you would look at the roller coaster ride of venture capital Two, on two sides. One, when you would raise money as a VC, when you went to your LPs and to the companies that were investing money into you so you could invest the money into companies. So you, yep. you had two different sides. You had the income side to you being what was invested into you and then what you would output, you would invest in the companies and then what the ROI was, the return of the investment. So you had three different milestones, correct? That is correct. And it would sometimes take 10 to 15 years to get out of some of these companies, right? That That's right. It's it's uh, it's a long haul because once you put the money in, obviously these are early stage businesses. Sometimes you don't even have a product. You have to hire a team, create a market, build it up, and then wait usually for the IPO window to open. It opens and it closes. Sometimes investors want to buy IPOs. Sometimes they don't. But... Uh, I'd say you're probably looking at 10 years if you started a company today until you would go public. That's probably about the average. That's incredible. It's a long time, especially. It's a long time. And we, you know, I mentioned this all the time. That's why when I became an enlightened individual and I learned about cryptocurrencies and blockchain 
And you could invest in a project as an investor or as a token buyer. And if you needed some cash, you needed some liquidity, you'd be able to sell that to somebody else uh, almost instantly. And the ability to do that actually makes raising capital for the entrepreneur much easier because you're not asking the investor or the buyer to hold it for 10 years. That's one of the best things about this. Hey, if you need to sell, you can sell. Imagine buying, let's say, a house and being told, by the way, you can never sell your house, ever. Well, I'll tell you, you would think a lot more about what neighborhood mm -hmm. and how big and all that. Right. Having a secondary market, a readily available secondary market for anything you buy makes it easier for you to buy it because if you get in a pinch, you can sell it. Now, I know we did some stats a couple of shows ago regarding the IPO market. I personally don't think crypto has affected, being ICOs has affected that market yet. I just think there's a downward trend, and I think it's because of the cost to go public. And we have too many unicorns right now that really can't go public because they're too big to go in that direction. Uh, an example would be Airbnb and Uber. They just can't do that at this point in time. Okay, Ken, for, for our listeners... What do you mean they're too big to go public? I think I know what you mean, but it might be helpful. <laughs> I think they are able to raise more money on the investment side from, from hedge funds and from uh, sovereign wealth funds in a faster way than they will if they went public. And two, they don't want to be under the scrutiny of the public markets when it comes to things like socks, uh, serving Oxley and all those things. They, they want to stay more as a non transparent entity uh, than they do when, it, when they go public. What's your thought on that? Now, just so I understood the last point you made, you said the people there don't want people to be able to look at their socks because they have That's, really colorful socks. This is where the comedy side of doing the show on the weekend gets William getting, yeah. Yeah, surveying Oxley. We're talking about socks, which that's the, yeah. the, the term that, uh, I would say has prevented a lot of companies from going public, don't you think? Yeah, so Sarbanes-Oxley was when Congress saw what happened after uh, the dot-com bubble burst and they were worried that there was too much manipulation of the market, they had this piece of legislation called Sarbanes-Oxley and basically it really it's really expensive and it's very administrative and all kinds of reporting you have to do now if you want to be public. And it... it makes it much more expensive to go public you have to hire a bunch more accountants and compliance people and so as a result fewer companies want to put themselves through that torturous route and so they stay private yeah and again a lot of these companies are just too big to go public i can't see airbnb which is on its way to becoming a 50 billion dollar privately held company going public can you no, and again, to, to emphasize what you're saying, if it's easier to raise money from individual investors or institutional investors, it's faster, and you don't have to uh, be part of the whole disclosure and, and administrative process that's required when you go public, then of course businesses are going to do that. In the old days, aka 10 years ago and, and further, uh, you couldn't raise more than a few hundred million generally as a private company. If you needed more than that, you had to be public. It's just not true anymore. Some big companies, what we call the unicorns, the really fast growing big uh, startups, they raise a billion dollars at a time. 
It's crazy. It really is. But the reason why I'm saying this is I don't think the IPO market has been affected yet by crypto. I don't. But the, I agree. the VC market has. Yes, and here's what I would say. The path to going public, I think, is going to be affected. I, I agree. But you just said because it could take 10 years to go in that direction. Yes, yes. So right now, you see uh, the pretty much the only choice if you are a big, uh, fast-growing startup, and now we'll say you've kind of moved over to the growth stage, your Uber, your Lyft, your... Uh, the, the finance company SoFi, your Airbnb, you're you're pretty darn big, and you need let's say 500 million to a billion of capital. Uh, the place you're going to go for that is generally not a bank. You don't go get a loan, and it's for a very simple reason. Banks tend to not like to loan to companies that are losing money. And while it's not 100% true, as a rule of thumb, you can say the only people are willing to loan companies money, lots of money, while those companies are losing money, are venture capitalists. Venture capitalists will look at a business and say, you know what, um, I see that you guys are growing fast, signing up lots of customers. You've got a lot of stuff you've got to pay for, marketing, employees, new office space. So you're, you're not making a profit yet, but pretty soon you will be based on how fast you're growing when you've paid for all these startup expenses. So we like the direction you're headed. Here is a hundred million bucks. Banks kind of just look backward. They say, how much have you made at all yet? And you say, nothing, we've been growing. And most banks will say, come to us when you have three years of profitable performance. Venture capitalists will invest in you even if you're not profitable yet. And the biggest companies that are growing the fastest we call unicorns and you and I have talked about this on this show before, Ken, I believe that that is the place where venture capital is going to see the biggest effect, a negative effect on venture capital from the ICO market. I agree. Because the ICO route is a way for, for people to raise money, raise them generally at higher prices than the VCs would pay, and you're giving the buyers of those tokens that you sell in the ICO an ability to trade them and immediately cash out if they need to, which is far better than the VC route where the VCs go and give a company money, the company gives them stock, but the VCs can't do anything with that stock, maybe for many years. So it seems to me the late stage growth company area is where we're gonna see the most dramatic effect of what blockchain can do. Yeah, but wait do a second, you. William, ba based upon what you're saying, do you see VCs then actually going in the direction of buying ICOs? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So there's going to be a and, massive and switch. Some already are. Yeah, there, so there's going to be a massive change now where VCs are not the initial funders. They're the ones that are just going after as much tokens out there as possible. Yes. And I've maybe said this a few times before or two, but I like saying it, which is, People who are listening to this podcast, people who've been buying uh, tokens and ICOs, you are ahead of the curve when it comes to venture capitalists. You know, you think of venture capitalists as these people who look out in the future and they're like, oh, that's a new technology. I'm going to go fund that and one day it'll be available once it's a publicly traded stock for everybody else. With ICOs, literally, you're getting in front of the venture capitalists right. because the VCs have been too 
I think, either afraid or confused about how to think about these things. So you're being able to invest or at least to buy tokens that are issued by companies that are doing fascinating things. That's why it's really disruptive to the venture model because if you're an interesting company with an interesting idea and you can raise money direct with your users by selling them these tokens and bypass the VC route. And you know, I've been a VC. VCs, um, you know, we, we place a lot of demands on companies. If those same demands are not required, if the same um, control provisions are removed, uh, it's a much more favorable thing for an entrepreneur to go the ICO route than it is to raise venture capital. This is Coin DMZ episode 14. William Quigley hanging out. I'm Ken Rakowski. We're here every single week, no matter where we are in the world, making sure we're educating you on what's going on with the crypto space, which I love to do. I know William does too. William, as you look at these ICOs, because there's been some big ones that have raised a quarter of a billion dollars plus, are you, do you think we're at the, the very beginning of these big raises, or do you kind of feel, and I was just talking to a friend of ours, Jay, who you know who Jay is, Jay feels that we're kind of at the end of these gigantic ICO fundraises. He thinks things are going to crash and burn, and then it's going to somehow come back differently. What's your thought? My thought is, uh, and Jay's a smart guy, uh, but I think he's wrong. And uh, I think we are, it may not be the beginning, but it could be the, uh, the beginning of uh, this next phase where larger companies are going to be saying, we should be doing these types of uh, financings ourselves. Now that the SEC is saying they're going to be giving guidance, uh, that's a charitable word. It's more like we're coming after you, but whatever. They're they're looking at these ICOs, but they're trying to police the practice of raising capital through ICOs, and there's some good that will come out of that. Uh, bigger companies need to have kind of um, uh, guidelines to know what's allowed, what's not allowed. Uh, this hit, This has been up until now uh, an area where there's been very little guidance from regulatory agencies, but as we get more of it, Bigger companies, of course, are going to tap into this this stream of capital. It's uh, it's a far better deal for the people who are giving them the capital. They're able to get a token that is fully transferable, maybe traded on many many exchanges, and of course, if it's a utility token, it actually performs some function. You can't do much with the share of stock, right? I mean, you can put it in a frame, You're right? And you, you know, use it as a coaster. You can't do much with it, but <laughs> Uh, when you what was the last time you actually got a paper stock? When did you actually physically get a paper stock? Uh, when did I get a physically paper stock? Well, I have I've gotten them even as much as a few years ago. I would get them for startups. They would send them to me. But you're right. For the most part, now it's electronic. Uh, but the bottom line is, it's a document. You can't do anything with it. Oh, but you can do a ton with an Ethereum base. Yeah, right, right. You're right. Um, I see. You're right. So have you ever heard, it's a Boston-based money management company called Wellington Management. You ever heard of them? Uh, yep, yep, yep. They're well-known. They're, they're huge. It's a trillion-dollar money management group. And I'm not sure, they're not coining the phrase, but they're calling it crypto assets. 
and they're basically opening it up to their portfolio to allow people to get involved in crypto. Now, this is interesting to me because that means if they're one of the first as a big organization saying they're doing it, this only has to open up the floodgates then to other money managers later on down the road, don't you think? I do, and, and I'm glad they're doing it, but it's like, um, good for you guys, but uh, we've been doing this for years, right? I mean, uh, the uh, these sorts of institutions, Vanguard, uh, Fidelity, Wellington, uh, Wilshire Associates, these are names of big money management firms where you'd make a little money and you would send it to them, and then they would choose which stocks or bonds or real estate holdings you would have, and, um, you know, Ken, I was just in the office of one of those companies. And uh, let me say that uh, I felt like I was entering a time capsule back to the 1980s. Why? Literally, even the decor of the office reminded me of a 1980s stodgy office. Uh, the people seemed to evoke that sort of bureaucratic, slow, plodding way of looking at things. And I thought, wow, these guys manage your money? Oh, could I even say cryptocurrency? I didn't even know what it meant. I think these companies, these money management companies, they will either do what Wellington is doing and saying, hey, this is a new asset category that a lot of millennials and others want to get into, or they will slowly dwindle away. So I'm glad Wellington's doing it. Um, but they've got a lot of catch-up to do. Well, but they don't, because everyone else that's in the similar camp as them, they're not doing it. They're actually, theoretically, a leader in that space. Okay, but but you're missing one point there. Um, uh, as a middleman, yes. But remember, this is permissionless. This is permissionless investing, permissionless banking, one of the things I love. You don't have the same money, may I? You can open up a Bitcoin bank account, a Bitcoin uh, address, an Ethereum address, an Ethereum wallet, and start collecting these coins yourself. You don't need to go through a middleman. Maybe it's okay if you want to, but I think that business model is archaic. You're going to see, uh, not immediately, but in the next few years, uh, artificial intelligence powered uh, uh, bots that work with you to figure out what you need given your tailored situation. And a lot of what these big money management firms provide won't be useful for you. That's what I see I get it. happening. Okay, that makes sense. So I did something that you told me to do, which you do every once in a while. So I was in two countries in the last week. I was in Turkey and I was in Spain, specifically Barcelona and Istanbul. And I went up to 10 merchants in each city, very similar. They were more like street merchants that were selling food. And, and I asked a very simple question if they knew what Bitcoin was. So in Barcelona, out of 10 people, three knew what Bitcoin was. In Istanbul, seven of them knew. Now, now my question is this. Maybe you can answer it. Since Spain is on the euro and Turkey's on their own currency... Is that maybe why? I think that's one reason. The other reason is that in a place like Turkey, uh, it's there are more antiquated systems 
that are more difficult for a lot of the people to use. Yes. And as a result, uh, being able to just get your browser open and as long as you can get on an exchange or, or get on one of your online wallets and do something, uh, you're free. Um, Barcelona, you know, I would guess, um, you know, just less forward in a lot of ways when it comes to banking. And uh, I think a lot of the people there in Barcelona um, also maybe have, uh, yeah, maybe the euro allows them um, a good enough fungible currency that it works well. Yeah, enough, that's what I think. I, that's what I think too. I think it's the establishment. As I, we talk about this in the United States. You know, frankly, you don't need to use Bitcoin in the United States most of the time. Uh, or any other cryptocurrency. You've got credit cards, you've got uh, PayPal, Venmo, uh, you've got debit cards. Uh, the banking system for us is everywhere. ATMs are everywhere. We don't even think of it as a hindrance. Whereas in many countries, the banking uh, per capita is much lower and the, uh, the people who are able to open bank accounts is much lower. So these alternative permissionless systems are more attractive. So I'm not sure if he is the richest man in the world right now, but he's probably within the top five because between Jeff Bezos and all that, they, they, they're interchanged periodically. But Bill Gates said something that kind of surprised me. It almost sounds like he's running for government. And that is he's not fully supportive of cryptocurrency. He's not sold on crypto, basically. And the reason why, he said, he feels the whole anonymity side is not a good thing. Because, well, governments need to track money laundering, tax evasion, terrorism, uh, illegal drugs, and crypto doesn't allow you to do that. Yeah. <laughs> What's Bill thinking here? Well, I think he's not thinking. Why is that, um, William? I, I don't know why he would say this as a, you know, he's been a lifelong software developer who, let me tell you, uh, didn't like asking for permission very often, doing what he wanted to do. And uh, I think this is a, uh, a misunderstanding that Bill Gates has about, about crypto. I would prefer that when someone of his stature talks about crypto, the first things they talk about publicly are Here's my understanding of how this stuff works. Let me level set how I'm looking at this and leave the, the, the opinions, the conclusions about what he or she has discovered for the end. I think one of the reasons the crypto community gets annoyed with these statements is the first thing we think is, well, what do you know? And, and how long have you been looking into it? Because by the way, Bill, the anonymity problem is really not a problem anymore. If you wanna trade those things on, a, on, on, a, on an exchange, which virtually everybody does, if you wanna use fiat to acquire these coins, there is no anonymity, you know? Now there's, there's an ability to be anonymous, but, very few people wind up doing that because, you know, to stay anonymous, you've, you're kind of in the shadows all the time. It's like if you're going to use your Bitcoin to go buy something on, you know, an Opskins or uh, an Overstock or an Expedia or any other place that takes Bitcoins, I mean, they know a lot about you. They got your credit card probably, they, you open the account, they have your voice, your, your, your email, your phone number, maybe your address. I think he really exaggerates the anonymity aspect of cryptos. And the other thing that 
I find uh, annoying about this is life is about trade-offs, right? Everything is about trade-offs. So you want something cheap, maybe the quality isn't so good. You want something fast, well, you know, maybe it's exactly not what you'd like. Well, in the case of cryptos, can they be used by people doing things like, you know, money laundering? But of course they can, oh, but you could use normal money to do that too. Exactly. And so what you would say is, I see that, guess what you can use 747s for? <laughs> Blowing up buildings, right? Yeah. So you can misuse any any technology. Hey, Bill, you had a great browser called Internet Explorer. Exploder. Uh, I know a lot of people who did bad things with browsers. Yeah, and you right? know, unfortunately, so this is what I see also. And to this day, I see it. If there's a Bitcoin story on the traditional media, they say, oh, Bitcoin, which is used for nefarious acts like, yes. and they even still say Silk Road. What? Oh, my God. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? That, that, yeah, I mean, that's like, uh, you know, I, I, that's like, I know. Talk, that's like talking about, um, you know, viruses on your computer as every time you mention either a new iPad or a new PC model, by the way, there's viruses on those. Yeah, we know. No, no, no. You bring it up saying the virus is very similar to the Michelangelo virus <laughs> or what, what was perceived as the Y2K situation. Come on. But hey, they just don't understand. And I, unfortunately, I kind of felt like Bill Gates was watching the news a little too much on this one. Yeah, And, and I'll just leave that point with this to our listeners. So when somebody starts talking about cryptos and you haven't never heard him talk about before, I'm talking about like a celebrity or a, you know, a well-known person, a Bill Gates, whatever. First say to yourself, well, before I listen to your opinion on the subject, can you kind of educate me as to how you've educated yourself? Because having opinions without any base understanding or very limited understanding, you know, isn't worth much. So let's hold them to that standard first. That's good. I like that. That's fair enough. And since we're going to talk about Bill Gates, he's up in the Seattle area. Let's maintain a little Seattle on this one. Starbucks. Yeah, they're probably going to come out with a token. Does this surprise you? It kind of seems like you almost have to go in this direction, don't you think? Of course it doesn't surprise me. And by the way, uh, Jay, since you told Ken that big ICOs and big <laughs> coin offerings are going away, uh, explain this one, buddy. So, yeah. So, Starbucks is... Um, uh, certainly they'll they'll have like every app it'll have an ability to pay in crypto that's that's a that's a given by the way I, I read it looks like it'll probably or the odds are it's ripple is what they're talking about because interesting okay so ripple might work i don't know uh uh but there's lots of coins uh if you ask me the reason why when you go to a starbucks uh in let's say santa monica and you go to pay and if you pay with US dollars, it's fine. But if you pay with euros, they say, oh, we don't take euros. But in Europe, they take euros. It's just because of this antiquated banking system where you have paper money. You shouldn't actually pick one crypto coin. I would say this to any company thinking of accepting cryptos because you can actually easily pick all of them. It's, it's not like paper money where you have to have a special bank account that's in euros or yen or whatever, USD. You can take most of these coins and just trade them. So I would encourage uh, a Starbucks to to accept 
50 different coins. Gosh, I wish they did because every country I went to, I, I couldn't use my Starbucks account. I would have to use a, a credit card. It would be nice to have something that's just unified and universal. Last thing real quick, and that is Amazon. Of course, the biggest e-commerce merchant. It's the biggest store in the world. Why wouldn't they do their own currency? It would only hey, come. We got we got on the top. We talked about Overstock doing their own ICO, not for their own ICO or not for their own Overstock currency. But why wouldn't Amazon have their own currency? Answer: uh, None. I can't give you one reason so they why will. they should have their own currency. But I also see no reason why they shouldn't accept crypto. So Amazon is a perfect example of what of what it'll, uh, crypto allows you to do. Remember, everybody. Cryptocurrencies are immutable. And that just means once I send it to you, I can't say I demand it back. If, if I uh, uh, buy something with a credit card, I can call my credit card company and say, oh, it was a mistake. And sometimes they'll reverse the transaction, which means if you gave me something in return for that credit card charge, you're screwed. And this happens all the time with, uh, with businesses. So Amazon, has a real problem, especially when it comes to allowing people outside of the United States to buy stuff from them, because it's like, well, you know, do we do those other countries, maybe outside of Europe, uh, have uh, good policies and procedures for what happens when there's credit card fraud? Uh, can you even get adequate identification to make sure that the person using the card online is who he says he is and so forth? But so Amazon could say, hey, you know, you're in some part of uh, the world where we don't have a lot of good understanding of what payment methods we can trust, but you send us crypto, you can send us whatever crypto you want, since it's immutable, once Amazon gets that cryptocurrency, they can ship the product to that person, never worrying about, oh, that was a stolen credit card, or oh, there's gonna be a reversal of that credit card charge. Totally makes Amazon sense. Amazon literally open up its market to countries it can't currently serve. It totally makes sense. We'll find out what happens there. You know, of course, William and I are here for you every single week. The word H-E-L-O, put it right in front of the ad sign, and then coindmz.com behind it, because we get a lot of letters. We do. We open up our mailbag and we have a couple of emails that are popping out right now. Hey, let me grab the first one. This is from Davey from Warsaw, Poland. I love this international audience we have. Me too. All my friends who have crypto use different wallets. Is there a super wallet that allows trading and storing? By the way, I love the show. A super wallet. Wow. A super wallet. Yeah. So first, what, what we'll say here is because um, uh, it's worth explaining. There's sort of three ways to hold your cryptos. One is you put money onto a crypto exchange, uh, that may be like a Coinbase, and they hold it for you. And if you want to sell it, you go log into your Coinbase account, you sell it and they'll send you out US dollars or whatever it is that you want. Then there are wallets, and these are like online sometimes or connected uh, uh, wallets that can connect to the internet where uh, Ledger, uh, Ledger Nano would be one, the My Selenium uh, is another, the Jax wallet, there's a bunch. If you just Google like, you know, Bitcoin wallet or crypto wallet. And then there is what we call paper wallets. And all I'll say about that is you can, you can turn your Bitcoin into a piece of paper and basically no one who hacks your computer then could ever get your coins because it's actually on a piece of paper. So that's three ways to hold it. 
But the the best wallets you would think would be ones where you could keep your coins in your personal wallet, not on an exchange that can get hacked, and you could use the wallet to actually trade, meaning sell your Bitcoin or your Ethereum or your Wax or whatever, and then buy it as well. That's what we might call an integrated wallet. And we're right about ready to have a bunch of integrated wallets, but for the most part today, you've got just a few choices. Uh, the the Jax wallet, I think it's integrated with something called Shapeshift, where you can sell your stuff, but the volume's not so high. Uh, Coinbase, of course, you can uh, store your coins in the Coinbase wallet, and then you can sell them actually from that wallet. The one I like is Binance. I like that one. Uh, yeah. Now, Binance, though, is um, uh, that's that's an account, not really a wallet, right? So, so I'm distinguishing between. Uh, the the exchanges where you hold your coins and a wallet where you actually hold the coins yourself the exchange doesn't hold them a bitgo is a wallet that i use a lot and it's what we call a multi-signature wallet which means i can program my wallet so that three different people have to input a password in order to take the coins out and that way if somebody hacks my password you know, they'd have to get the other two person's passwords to do it. Uh, but today, there's not a lot of fully integrated wallets where you can put the money in the wallet and trade it at the same time. Uh, I've named a few here. Uh, wait another six months. I even think you'll find uh, uh, Telegram that's doing its ICO now. Oh. will probably have a wallet that's integrated interesting. with it. Hey, by the way, we skipped a story and I wanted to get to it before we read these other two emails. Hey, just a quick question, William. How do you say the capital of Iceland? Is it Helsinki or Helsinki? Uh, Helsinki. No, it's Reykjavik. Damn so you. I just want to. Damn you. I knew it was a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> and you were so... supposed to edit out. No my geographic ignorance, and you didn't. people have actually come up to you and say, "Hey, I, I noticed you know a lot about Bitcoin, but <laughs> not about geography." Um, uh, Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein is a country that borders which two countries? So that would be, I believe. Go ahead, Google. Germany, Go ahead, Google it. No, no, no. Germany. Uh, 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 Austria. I know Austria. Austria for sure. Austria and Switzerland. Okay, Austria. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to say I thought it was interesting because um, Glichtenstein, of course, being one of the tax-free countries, is uh, they have a bank. They have a very impressive bank out there. I think it's called Bank Frick, and yes. Bank Frick says they're going to uh, actually do creating, uh, trading a Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, Ripple. Yeah, this is this is another one of those huge stories in the crypto world. The fact that Bank Frick, F-R-I-C-K, Bank Frick made an announcement. Now, you know, maybe they will do it, maybe they won't, but made an announcement saying you can have a deposit in their bank account and they will allow you to acquire a whole batch of different cryptocurrencies and sell them and they will hold them. They will take the custody of them so that presumably they do a better job than the average Joe at safeguarding these coins so that they're safe and secure the fact that you get custody and you can use your regular old bank account you don't have to send a wire to coinbase or whatever this is a big deal 
This is a big deal. We got guys like JD Diamond and other bankers saying uh, this stuff's dangerous. We have the credit card issuing banks saying we don't want you to buy cryptos with them. And now you have a bank, a European bank saying, you know what, this is a good idea and we're going to allow customers to do it. Uh, I'm really pleased to see it. Yep, me too. Watch what happens. Look at these little countries making a big, big push. By the way, Glichtenstein and Luxembourg also doing a lot with the space programs too. They're opening up space corridors. The only reason I'm bringing this up is space, crypto, and possibly watch weed like cannabis. Watch the, these countries say, hey, you know what? Let's let's kind of go on the fringe. Let's let's use our smallness to think big. We'll find out what happens. Hey, let's go to the email coming from Paul, who's in Irvine. What's he say? So Paul in Irvine is asking about. Who is responsible for refunding me if, let's say, uh, I lose money while I'm um, using my crypto wallet? You know, there's a malware that allows somebody to get in it, uh, or I'm a victim of fraud. You know, somebody tricks me into sending them some uh, 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 cryptos and I don't get it back. So, isn't there one word for that? Isn't there one word for that? What's the one word? Nobody. <laughs> I, yeah, nobody's a great guy to go to. He'll take care of all your problems. So uh, I hear Paul here's, uh, it's actually, there's a, it's a, it could be, it could be a complex question um, because there are things you can do, but, but let's just say this in the cryptocurrency world, there is no controlling authority. It's not like a, uh, you know, there's some government that issues these or a uh, usually even a, a company, um, often these cryptos are run by volunteers. And so you think about Bitcoin, no one owns the Bitcoin network. It's communally owned. And therefore, if there's a problem in the Bitcoin network, the community fixes it. But uh, there isn't a method today for those who've suffered a loss to collect from everybody else the way you might think about as an insurance company which socializes losses. And so everybody pays a little bit of insurance. So for the guy whose house burns down, you know, he doesn't go broke. There isn't such a, a thing today. And so as a result, uh, what, it's buyer beware. What's the, and you what's the one word again? Who? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah. It, you, you, buyer beware. That's what it is. Right? That's that's right. And, and you know, over time, uh, we will get companies that are willing to take that risk. All right, let's go to Erica, who's in Colorado Springs. With the recent roller coaster ride of the stock market, uh, which seems to be equal to the cryptocurrency up and downs, can you peg the Dow or the S&P to crypto? Yeah, um, yes, you can. And I think what you're asking is, uh, hey, you know, you've got all these great stock tracking and investment tracking uh, uh, analytic tools. And uh, you'd like to compare how the a basket of cryptocurrencies are doing relative to the, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the S&P 500, and so forth. There are websites that give you that information, uh, but we don't, right now there's kind of two worlds. There's people who like to own and trade, buy, sell cryptos, and there's people who like to do that with stocks. And we don't have like a Bloomberg terminal that combines them, but they're coming. There's even an ICO coming of a company that's creating a terminal that allows you to do all kinds of cool stuff with stocks and bonds and now with cryptos. Mm. So these tools are coming, but wouldn't it be great if you could go to like 
Google Finance. I guess you can't go to Yahoo Finance anymore if they're around, but Google Finance. And um, you could, you know, check all this information and get these indexes of how did, you know, overall stocks perform on the New York Stock Exchange? How did cryptos perform on different, different uh, exchanges? We're going to have that, I suspect, in, in, in two years or shorter, but we don't have a lot of it yet. Okay. Last thing before we go, William, uh, you had a surprise keynote the other day at a conference in Santa Monica. You didn't even know you were the keynote. I didn't know it was the keynote until I showed up, but I was glad I was there uh, to keynote it. There was a great crowd. It was. It was so great to see. The first time Brock and I and a couple of others, Steve Beauregard, a few other uh, cats uh, who got enlightened by crypto, uh, got together for a meetup in, um, it was in 2012, crypto meetup in Santa Monica. I remember we, uh, we, we stood in a circle and there was nine of us. And uh, we're like, hey, how's it going? Didn't I just see you 50 minutes ago? And we just talked, right? And a few <laughs> newbies came. And now, you know, there was there was hundreds of people at that event on uh, what it was, two Saturdays ago or last Saturday. It was great to see. Yeah, it's an exciting time. It really is. And we will have some announcements coming out about some of our events, CoinDMZ events that will be coming up. So make, make sure you stay tuned. You want to get a hold of us? Hello at CoinDMZ.com. William, I appreciate the time that you give us because I know it's incredibly well, valuable. I have one more question. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm traveling next week to Moldova. What is the capital I'll be traveling to? You're kidding, right? You're not really going to Moldova. But if I was, <laughs> no more insulting my geography confidence. You're going to Moldova. How about if you're going to Madagascar? <laughs> How about Mongolia? Let's just hit all the M's, okay? <laughs> William Quigley, you want to find him or me, just go to CoinDMZ. This is episode 14. Thanks a lot for hanging out with us on CoinDMZ. Oh,